morning and welcome to your daily gay face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon. And and how are you, Lou? I'm very well. Are, are you really? Yes. <laughs> I survived I survived Brady Week. Did you well you, of course look at how great it was. That yeah. the game was amazing, right? It was a game time decision whether I was actually gonna watch it, but I sat down and watched it. Oh see, I was thinking of you. Yep. And I was holding tissues in case. <laughs> no. <laughs> no tears. So what was you worried about? Oh, I wasn't um, worried. I have a I have a very entangled relationship with both uh, Tom and Bill, and it's like I I'm very things. unhappy with them and very happy with them at the same time. So it was a tough week. <laughs> yes, we had the whole the whole beginning of the show last week. We I did therapy for Lou on on the Belichick Brady relationship and repairing it and what was wrong. Who's <laughs> in the right spot, right? I know. <laughs> a little free clinical services. Here. Yes, That's on a weekly. Right. He gets a free weekly. <laughs> yep. um, the voice that everyone's hearing, if you are not watching live this morning, is none other than Dave Jensen. And if no one knows who Dave Jensen is, you're going to today because he is awesome, first of all. And if anyone um, loves hockey, they know exactly who he is because he, um, I love the fact that he, was on the diaper line. I love that because if he was on oh, the, diaper the, line line, the diaper line in '84, I was on the pacifier line yeah. in yeah. gymnastics because yeah. we just only have a few years between yeah. us. But that means I was in the passy. I like I was it. a passy. That's what I was thinking about last night. I'm like, oh my god, he was diapers and I was passy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but he was in the uh, 1984 Olympics and superstar. I knew you were great, but I read some stuff on you and I was like, oh my god, he's actually even greater than I actually thought. So, no, <laughs> yeah, no. I wish. You as I dug, there was one one interesting fact I came up with that just blows my mind. What? I, Dave was you were the first junior high school player to be drafted in the first round of the NHL. That's correct. As a 17-year-old, you're a first round pick in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah. I was junior in high school at Lawrence Academy at the time. Um so how was class the next day? <laughs> it was you know what? It was it was the day of my last final exam. And I'll never forget it. It was surreal because I was living in a dormitory and I knew the draft was that morning in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And I was walking back to the dormitory. And I walked in a door I never went in the whole year. And the payphone was ringing. Now, I was a junior. We have freshmen down the first floor. Yep. And whenever you get calls from my mom or whatever, someone come up to your room in the back right. and, hey, yeah. phone call. Phone was ringing. I picked it up. First time all year. And it was the end of the year. Been there nine months. He says, David Jensen there. I said, this is him. <laughs> he said, this is Emil Francis, general manager of the Hartford Whalers. Just want to let you know you got selected in the first round number 20 overall wow and it was like it was like a it was so surreal because i never picked up i'm like wow but that's you, were awesome. met, you were meant to pick up that phone call but it, it was so the response amazing. wasn't who is this <laughs> who is this really <laughs> no it wasn't but i was in shock you know yeah. i was coming back from my, my last final exam and it was just uh, a situation where you know you walk in that door for whatever reason huh? phones pay phones ringing yeah answer it and you know what, what a way to get the news right cool. yeah so the <laughs> phone number that the hartford whalers had for him was a dorm phone. Isn't that funny? A pay phone. So, <laughs> nonetheless, I think um, my brother and father were up in Montreal for the draft. I couldn't be there because of school commitments, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm not sure. I never asked that question. That's a good question, Lou, as to how did you get that phone number. But I'm assuming they got it from my father. Right. You know, that's how we contact him. That pay phone, Lawrence Academy. That's so. And Groton Mass, not too right. far from here. Well, you know, back in the day, and you know. It was pay phones and <laughs> there were no cell there phones. Were no, cell phones. Back no, no bag. Phones, I still remember no the date. It was right. June eighth of nineteen eighty three because it was so a monumental day, you know, that's for so me. Great. Yeah, yeah. The oh. whole dorm phone, the whole dorm floor phone. That's One what it phone was for the whole floor. 
that was a great, such a great dynamic back in the yeah, day. You yeah. just met so many people. <laughs> One phone. It was actually on the first floor. I lived in the second floor of that dormitory. So, wow. and what are the chances? In the chances you were it, it, that it, up? it's crazy. It really right. is that it happened, but it was a it was a great moment I'll never forget. That's awesome. Yeah. But listen, you grew up in you're born in New England. Grew up in New England. That's every kid's dream. You're getting drafted yeah. by the NHL in high school for crying out loud. It, it was, and um, you know, it happened fast. Um, a guy named you probably know Bobby Carpenter. Yep. Probably was a big bowling yeah. back. And Bobby and the nineteen eighty team, I think, opened doors for us kids, Americans, and Bobby Carpenter was selected third overall yep. uh nineteen eighty one, I believe. And he had an outstanding rookie crew, uh, you know, rookie rookie year yep. and then career yeah. up to that point. Right. So that paved the way for guys like me, you know, Americans get drafted in the first round because it wasn't done very often back then. Yeah. And yeah. and not only was he drafted at that age, you know how fast he can skate. Could could I was like, can you still? I went from the fastest to the slowest. You know, I've had so many reconstructive knee surgeries. And, you know, I saw that little yeah. limping going on today. In yeah, the knee. both knees. I mean, <laughs> knee replacement on one side, torn meniscus on the other. It hip is what we're talking about all the yeah. time. Is like, how do you keep your knees and your hips healthy yeah. as you get older? Yeah. Well, if you've had them torn apart, it's really hard to do and reconstructed for many years. And unfortunately for me, I had a, a serious injury my rookie year. I had a uh, complete reconstructive knee surgery where I actually not only tore, but blew out three ligaments, my MCL, oh. my ACL, and my PCL, Jeez. which is... Uh, there goes the yeah, knee. Yeah, completely. so they had to reconstruct it with screws and bolts. And oh. you talked about my game with speed and, you know, that type of stuff. So yeah. I was never the same player. So it was my first year and... Um, yeah, I was lucky to play another, you know, eight years of pro hockey, but you did pretty it, good. Yeah, no, it, mean, it was good. You know, but listen, what you take out of it for me and every guy I talk to, even the guys up in the rafters, right. is the relationships they create, the bonds, yep. the memories, and you know, the life lessons, really. So, you know, I did great in that regard. Maybe didn't get to where I was supposed to projected as a first rounder, but hey, it is what it is, right? Exactly. Before I go on about that, you have a number. How fast was he? I don't. Oh, okay. Oh, no, but he'll have the number. Well, Do you, oh, you have the number? No, I don't have the number. Oh. But I don't have the number. They used to electronically time guys, yeah. and um, I finished very high. You know, they, they time guys at training camp back in, I think it was 1983, um, you know, NHL guys, Europeans, Russian, stuff like that, and I was yeah. right near the top um, as far as straightaway burst of speed, you know? So let's talk about what you just mentioned. I, I played three team sports, not to any kind of level like yeah. that, of course. But there is something about a hockey team. There is yeah. something about the guys you play hockey with that's different than any other sport. Why do you think that is? I couldn't couldn't agree more. And I played four sports. You know, I played football, soccer, baseball, and hockey. There was no lacrosse right. back then back for then. me. I would have right. played. My son played. And it looks like such a great game, right? <laughs> yeah. um, you get to hit you, people with sticks. You know, I, I can't really <laughs> put my finger on yeah. why hockey. I, I fell in love with hockey. Yeah. I loved all sports, but hockey had a special place for me. And I think Bobby Orr. You know, I was born in yeah. 65, and when I was really starting to realize sports, mm -hmm. five years old, he was, like, magical. Magical, right. And he was, like, everything. That's I used to have right. dreams about being Bobby Orr, yeah. trying to pull moves. You know, I remember four or five years old. Um, that was special for me, but the culture of the game, you know, the travel, the commitment of the families, yep. and the life lessons you learn in hockey, not that you don't learn them in other sports. I think you do, but there's something about the culture of hockey and the commitment it takes Right. Teamwork, the bonds. And I think was, you have special. to have each other's back more you, you, than any other 100%. sport. You have to have each other's back. Yeah, 100%. And, and 
it doesn't matter who you are on the team. There's a culture of you're equal. It really is. And, you know, and and I've saw that all the way through up to the NHL Olympic teams, Canada cup teams, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's one of the, I think that that's one of the things that we talk about just for people like in daily life to have like some kind of camaraderie with people that universal shared experience. You have a more successful life in general when you have that and people struggle because I mean, the premise of, the show tying in what Dave's saying is that trying to find a way to have your best life on a daily. And if you're more connected to people and you have more camaraderie and you have a universal shared experience that we've always talked about how sports set people up for life experience to have that later in life, you know, because what do you do looping back to what you said before, what do you do when you, are 17, 18 years old, and you have a whole career in a sport, then you get injured. And you yeah. are fortunate to have reconstruction surgery, but you were able to move on. Some people can't, yeah. or they don't. And what is then their sense of purpose? How do they find their next step or not get depressed or sad or yeah. turn to drugs or alcohol and all those things? I mean, lots of loaded things in there, but that's, you just said all those pieces. And I'm thinking, ah, you know, our listeners are always talking about you know, what do I do now? How do I find a sense of purpose? Yeah, what if I yeah. lost my identity? Cause I was, I was a great hockey player or I was a great basketball player. And then now I'm injured or now I can't do it anymore. Or, you know, my four years of college are over and nobody picked me up or right, all those right. things. And how do you then keep camaraderie? How do you keep connection? All the, all the pieces, you know, all yeah. on you right now to answer all those questions. Well, Dave. And, <laughs> you know, I can only speak from personal experience, but, um, I think it can be a little bit overwhelming. Even myself in 92 was my last year. And I had five, not just the knees, I had reconstructive shoulder surgeries, a couple of knees. Um, And it was sort of an identity, you know, at that point in time, you're a hockey player. That's what your career was. And, you know, I'm 26 years old and I got thinking a lot of life ahead of me. Right. right? Exactly. And you, you do kind of lose that purpose for me. Everybody I think is different Mm -hmm. and where they grew up and, you know, what their choices are after hockey. Mm -hmm. But, I remember feeling that way. I was fortunate enough to have um, my dad was an attorney. I grew up in Needham, Mass, mm-hmm. and he ran, uh, you know, a law firm. And he was a developer, so I was fortunate enough to jump into. I was doing school part time, right? But jump into doing title, real estate title. So family, family, yeah, business. business. So, and so. I, I grew a company that was, it was, it was very successful at that point in time. You know, right. for the next 10, 12 years, whatever right. it might be, and it's all depending on the market too, the sure. real estate market. Sure. But having said that, I, I still felt like I lost a piece of my soul. You know, right. it doesn't matter what, you know, and things happened, happened quickly. I got married, I had a, a child in 94. So I had a lot of life changes right. from being independent and professional athlete. Um, so fortunately, I had enough going on in my life that I couldn't dwell on it at that point in time, right. where it would become a major depressive disorder. Right. But I could see how it would get to that point if you really didn't have, and I had a really good support network, my right. family and all that stuff right. that uh, helped me. You so, know? so the support network is the important thing for listeners and for people yeah. that are always looking for, how do I make it through like daily yeah. or yeah. doing things like that is so many times people don't have that support network and what an important piece that is. I mean, and you're looped back into being with the Bruins alumni and you've got all these activities going on that you support and you do charity work and things that give back and also kind of yeah. keep you close to where your heart was with hockey. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so how important that is that people find those pieces for themselves and how to, um, did you, did it just, well, ha- Dave, it, it happened for Dave a little bit differently. You're, you're one of the 1%. There, there are a lot of us and this is the whole glory days syndrome Yeah, where, you know, I, I grew up playing hockey. I was pretty good. And then there's a point where you level out. 
it's just like, all right, what game are these guys playing? Right. <laughs> because right. it's not the same as what I'm playing. Yeah. But you're in your 20s. You're 21, yeah. 22. You don't have the family support. You're just kind of, oh, God, I'm not a hockey player anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and there was no doubt of those failings yeah. from me. When it ended, it was like, it was crushing. It mm -hmm. really was. Because now, and the thing you miss the most about it, is the relationships and the right. camaraderie, the everyday, you know, being part of something. Right. 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 And yep. purpose. Well, yep. you just said, if you don't have purpose in your life and you're not part of something, you know, even today, if I don't have that. The I'm shared gonna... experience with others that are like you. Oh, my right. goodness. And you try sorry. to find that in everyday life. And it's frustrating when you can't because it, it's it like it, it, there's this meme. Some of y'all never played on a hockey team and it shows. And yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. It, that's life for a lot of people. You just go and try to be a team part of a team in a business or a workplace environment and not everybody's on the same page. Right. I totally agree. And yeah. I think that's what sports really helps with the, the teamwork and the camaraderie and the commitment and the sacrifice, right. Yep. And helping others that's instilled upon us to mm -hmm. help others, help others in need teammates or whatever it might be, you so, know, pick guys up or whatnot. Right? Well, and I think hockey, and we talked about this and Frank Simonetti was here. we talked about how much the bond yeah. Um, in hockey, particularly, is so strong yeah. to do service work and to be giving back and to do because everybody that I mean, yeah. I'm I'm with you guys a lot, and the amount of community service and the amount of giving back that starts when you first even get on the league, and you st I mean, you're just constantly doing that, which is, I mean, every you know NFL has it, NBA has it, you know, women's basketball has everybody has it in them in their culture. Yeah, but I think. I don't know, the hockey league, you know, the National Hockey League, I think, is much more definitive of pushing whether it's the culture of just the general nature of the guys or even even the women's team, very, very community-based and giving back and charity-oriented. Yeah, and yeah. you are like a, a walking encyclopedia of charity work. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it stems from what we just talked about, you know, community, right. uh, commitment, purpose right. in my life. So. The Bruins alone, I Frank does nobody does more of that than Frank yeah. and Nifty, Ricky Middleton, Terry right. Riley, all those guys. Mm -hmm. Um it's something that we feel very strong, you know, that it's a community, it's a community impact that makes mm -hmm. a difference for mm -hmm. us and our purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And it's great for us to be together as well, that bond that we share and trying to make a positive difference. And you talked about a little trying to find, you know, what I didn't know what I didn't know when I was younger. Yeah. But it's there every day if you want to. The community aspect are giving back. There's no greater feeling than helping another human being, especially one in need. So right. all these charity events are for different, you know, groups are in need of support. So for us, you know, every day you can have the best day of your life. All you have to do is get out there and make a positive difference in another human right. being's life. Right. Really. Do you think that the crossover from, you know, the purpose and the camaraderie and all that that you had in hockey is is matched by now doing that I work do. i mean that's the replacement or the sublimation of like yeah. the crossover I, I would even say that um not only match but it exceeds it yeah you know Ooh, to yeah. what you have and i don't know any guys and i have a lot of friends who are either in the rafters or hall of famers mm -hmm. that don't get more out of that than a highlight film goal mm -hmm. i really don't i know that genuinely to be right. the case some people might say uh you know like sure, right, goal, sure, like right. Ricky Middleton scores or something uh, Terry Rowley did. Yeah. And, like, that's a great feeling. Scoring a goal in the Olympics was magical for me. Come on, and Terry best... had to like beating a Ranger fan with a shoe. He had to enjoy that. He, uh, he, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Taz has done better than Terry, too, yeah. as far as, you know, commitment community and genuinely trying to help people every right. day and treating right. everybody with respect. 
I think it's upbringing. I think the difference in sports is upbringing a lot of times because if you're a star football player, you're recruited, you are, you know, you're idolized from your high school career all the way on up. Same thing with baseball, same thing with the NBA, of course. Hockey players are Canadian farm boys and guys from yeah. New England yeah. going to Lawrence Academy answering their own phone call about when they're getting <laughs> drafted. I mean, it, it's a different upbringing. It's a, and co going up in the sport is a different experience. You're rarely idolized yeah. as you go up. No one gets that special treatment. You're part of a team. No, You've got to be no part one. of a team. It's a great point by yeah. Lou yeah. because um, the culture and you learn in a culture and you learn by those ahead of you, right? right. So, and you talk about Bobby Orr, yes. you know, community commitment and treating everybody with respect and what he does. You know, those guys learn from him or and Bobby learned from someone else and our generation learned from those guys. Right. And like you said, if someone comes in, you don't last too long if you're, you know, if you're a conceited type of player or selfish. Yeah, there are no divas. In not in that environment. You yeah. know, that's handled the in-house, so to speak. And it doesn't happen really when you get to that level. It's already been ironed out. I didn't, honest to God, I played on a lot of teams, NHL, AHL. I played in Europe. I played Olympic teams, Canada Cup. And I never met a bad guy. I really didn't. I can honestly say that. That wasn't unselfish, caring, committed to the team. And never. And that's that's crazy. Well, I you, think, so you know? for all the youth hockey people out there that have their little kids starting out and you know, youth hockey, and I and I see a lot of kids in my in my practice that are doing, you know, peewee and little, you know, yeah. they're coming into the different age groups and and there's the amount of dedication and the good skill of being a good person, a compassionate person, um, a good sports person, all the things that I just see it start so young in hockey and youth yeah. hockey leagues and, and just the general nature of it. You know, you hear a lot of, and it doesn't, it's not to say that it doesn't happen in, in the young hockey players, but you see a lot of other sports where you have a lot of the political infighting yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, the referees and the coaches, and it still happens, but yeah. I hear far less in hockey yeah. with kids coming up the ranks than I do in any of the other sports of like the team leagues and the, you know, the club leagues and whatever it is, is that you see a lot of healthy crossover that people are, yeah, there's competition, but it doesn't turn into something that becomes, Right. detrimental to the kids by and large well not um, from the kids i was a usa hockey official right, for 15 I, I, years <laughs> and uh every year i was escorted out of the building at one time or another because you you that's no, just the nature of the nature of the sport but every game and we're talking peewee on up is the seventh game in the stanley cup finals I know. for the parents a lot there is a lot of that going Listen, on everyone's going yeah. to the olympics didn't you know my child is yeah. that amazing yeah. Yeah. come on now yeah college hockey olympics they're all going they're all playing in the nhl yeah. and there is a lot of that mentality in youth hockey now but that's parent phenomenon of yeah, psychology exactly. yeah. of parents all think their child is going to the olympics and they're the most amazing yeah. and they are and this right. is just what parents do which is which is not good um <laughs> But having said that, I think internally in the locker room, you know, you, you have those life lessons. And I think the kids learn. Yeah. And, yes. and regardless of and I've seen the crazy parents. Yep. Oh, I get you. No, the kids um, have a the kids have a scope. They have a they have a context. They're having fun out there. But there's are. a and lot of yeah. there's a lot around them that is sometimes not always attractive. Exactly. But yeah. it's funny because I've seen I've been involved in it as well with USA hockey and coaching. And um, it's funny how the kids can push that aside because yep. there are parents that you know cross the line unfortunately in every sport but the right. kids work it out and i think well, they learn great uh, life lessons yeah, and life that's lessons. well that's what i'm saying about kids in hockey what i've noticed is that yeah. they have all that yeah. stuff on the sideline like i see in other sports that i work with and hockey tends to have 
less of the problems within the actual kids you're right. setting yeah. because they're able to push it aside because for whatever reason they are and the parents <laughs> they're doing their own thing <laughs> right, right. you know on the sidelines because yeah. i mean yeah. they're screaming yelling and i'll be sitting in well the because hockey yeah. hockey has that unique fishbowl type of experience right. where you're on the ice or in the stands right. right and when you're in the stands it's usually dark it's usually 6 30 in the morning everyone's right. got that coffee they seem anonymous it's like being on facebook yeah. they can yell and be whoever they want to yeah. be yeah. but there's that separation Crazy. for the kids the people on the ice there's that Crazy. separation you feel like you're just on the ice and you're not you know you can separate yourself from exactly it. Yeah. exactly so well so i just think that it's i think it's gr a great sport for parents to get their both females yeah, and agree. males into because it builds such a good character quality in yeah. kids yeah. not only individual self-esteem and confidence but also that that team sport leadership relying on others knowing that someone has your back i mean yeah. because i think when you don't have good teamwork or in life or you that comes from that fact of like everyone's not treated equal everyone right. doesn't realize that their role is just as equal as the next one whether you're you know right. uh, you know forward middle or you know back wherever you are on the on the field or on the ice whatever you're doing you're still as equal as the next person and i think if you have that mindset i think i just think that hockey tends to promote yeah. that by and large yes. i think that's one of the unique yeah. parts about the sport and why the camaraderie is so strong is that everyone basically has the same job there's the goaltender right and the goaltender everybody depends on him so we're all buddies with yeah. the goaltender yeah. <laughs> we're all supporting the goaltender but unlike other sports where you play different positions and you have different roles on the ice i mean it's defense forward center everyone's got a role of course but it's basically the same job right yeah, yeah. and by the way it's all ad lib and you've got to depend on each other and read on each other all the time you do. Yeah, you do. So go back to because a few minutes ago you started to talk about your memory of of the Olympics. Yeah. And I would love to just hear a little blurb about that before we move on about your memory of being there and. Well, I'll tell you, it was a different experience. It was um, I was selecting the first round that June of '83, and then back then it's changed now. But the Olympic team, you were selected in, some, in what was called the National Sports Festival which was in early uh, late june early july and i was fortunate enough to get an invite after that because i was young i didn't expect it to that national sports festival and did quite well mm -hmm. and made the team and they announced on july 4th which is really awesome and yeah. that day three out in colorado springs um and then you then you you went home for a month and then you started in august training camp right which if you ever saw a miracle you know yep. the, the training of course they put you through yes um we trained in colorado up thousand you know up whatever it is a mile above sea level which the air is not good and it's about 110 degrees out there and we had weight vests on 25 pounds so it was some serious That's training Lord. and then wow. we were off to play 60 something games at preseason we started off going to alaska we faced the russians rather the gate six game series up in alaska which we did quite well in um then it was over to finland to play the national team sweden Finns, mm -hmm. back to play all the nhl teams right. for their uh, preseason games then it was again, you know, Canada, Russia. We were playing all the international teams here, there. Played some college teams, AHL teams, IHL. It was a whole year, and it was it was surreal for me because I was so young, jumping from high school hockey to that. Right. It was crazy, but exciting. The, it was yeah. exciting, but the feeling I got, especially you know, you remember the first time you put in the USA jersey. And when Alaska were playing the Russians, it was 
It's, it's just a fa indescribable failure. Now and, you're yeah. on the encore team to the 80 Olympic team, the Miracle on Ice. Uh, the whole international scene in Russian hockey is still kind of new. I know we started playing them in '72, but yeah, uh, but it's still kind of a new experience. Were the ghosts of the '80 team around? Did you feel the pressure of following up? You know, the Miracle on Ice team. You know, people talk about that a lot. I really didn't feel the pressure. I might have been too young to know better. <laughs> you know, but um, I didn't feel it. Like I took every game and every practice. You know, to try to do the best I could, honestly. And we had a really good coaching staff that helped keep us grounded. Um, we had a really successful 60-plus games, much better than the 80 team did over yep. the same schedule. Yep. Um, but it comes down to a tournament. And, it, and you know, games, if you lose one game, you're out. If you win one game, and tournaments are tough. And we, But you we, had expectations. The 80s did. team did not have expectations. 100%. Yeah. We did. We did. And we had an excellent team. We had Chris Chelios and LaFontaine. I put in the dive plan with Pat LaFontaine. Chris is still playing, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Um, so he's the one who, who actually gave us the name Diaper Line. When we, we were formed, it was myself, uh, Pat LaFontaine is a Hall of Famer, Good and Lord. Eddie Olchek. Right. Eddie's wow. on NBC. Yeah. Um, and we're all so young that we were called the Kid Line. And of course, you know, the banter, yes. like Chelios was going to change that. So he wanted to, you know, yeah. rib us a little bit. So it became the diaper, diaper line, line. which it. is what we did. You know, you're senior in high school. I love it. It's the last thing you want to be called the diaper line, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, embarrassing. It's kind of funny. I now. love it. I talked to Patty. He's like, isn't that great to have a signature <laughs> line? Like USA Hockey doesn't have a signature line. What would the, they call it? The diaper line. Yeah. I, love I love it. it. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty cool. But, but then to get to the actual Olympics. Yeah. Um, it was an amazing, uh, what a feeling that is, opening mm. ceremonies and, um, you know, the first game we played Canada out of the gate. Right. And it was just, it's a feeling that next to the birth of my kids, it, it's one of the greatest feelings I've ever had. And I talked about it earlier and people should hopefully do realize it, it's a feeling you get when you help someone, a human being. Yeah. Like, you know how you have that feeling? Yes. We talk to kids that do anti-bullying programs yes. because – I said I never met a bad guy in hockey, which I haven't, but I've made guys who made poor decisions, right? And have issues because right. we all do. Right. Right. So, and that doesn't make him a bad guy. Right. Right. Um, having said that, um, we were, were fortunate enough to be able to help the kids and talk to the kids and anti bullying mm -hmm. and making a positive difference. And you can see when it resonates in their eyes mm -hmm. when they can hear the stories and we talk about when you do something, you know, it that's bad or hurt another human being, you, you have to. You know that feeling in the stomach, pit, that right. sick feeling, the yeah. pit in the stomach, right. right? And that's brutal to carry that around. Right. Now everybody, even you know, even kids that we don't think are good kids, the bully, they've done nice things. Right. And they know the feeling of that. Sure. And we all do. And sure. it's a great feeling when you help human beings. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I get off to. You know, like those are the best feelings I have in my life. So can you talk about what you do? Because you, I would love for him to talk to. He has many different things that he does to help people. And so I think that given that the show is about health and wellness and taking good care of oneself and giving back yeah. that you have, you have anti-bullying, you help youth hockey, you work with um, veterans, you work with sobriety, you yeah. work in recovery, you work with the Bruins foundation. You were, I mean, there's like so many different aspects to this. And so can oh, you let's, yeah. let's talk about that. And so how we almost have to break it down yeah. a little bit, but all those things, um, you know, make for a purposeful life. Like mm -hmm. we talked about it, like, there's no better feeling, in my opinion, to help another human being mm -hmm. that especially needs help. And, right. um, you know, the kids, that's our future generation. Mm -hmm. So anti-bullying, for instance, we'll mm -hmm. take that subject. Yes. Um, yeah, to me, it doesn't get enough. There's not enough awareness out sure. there sure. to what it's doing to our kids and youth and boys and girls. 
especially with social media now, yes. there's no escape. Right. And I know personally, you know, kids I've worked with in hockey who have taken their own life because yep. they didn't think they had anywhere Any other, to go. And their parents else. didn't know in a devastating situation. Right. Um, to think that it gets to that level, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it breaks my heart. Right. And I don't think the kids that are doing this realize, you know, right. the pain or the hurt they're inflicting on upon another. another. And right. that's where we try, you know, we run street hockey clinics and play bowling mm -hmm. where we can, you know, get the kids together, um, give them a t-shirt, pizza, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, and the, make them feel important. Yeah, we do make them middle feel schools. like they matter. Yeah. That they matter. Yeah. So do you start at little, little kid level well, or do you start? Middle I don't think school? it's ever too early right. to start. I really right. don't. We've done middle schools. We do elementary schools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people say when you get to high school, it's already formed. And mm -hmm. like, I still don't think, you know, I think we can reach all kids and all well, people. Yeah, you can intervene on any level at any time. I mean, there, there are certain characteristics, right, psychologically speaking, that people come into, like as little kids or even yeah. as adults. It, I mean, you know, yeah. gossip is the form of adult bullying, by right. the way. <laughs> so when you start, so, when you when yeah, you intervene on some level yeah. um, to give someone a sense of another thing to do besides doing that to someone or to help them channel it in a different right. way, that helps. But I mean, certainly, you know. How, how do you bring that into, like, is there something that if people are listening and they say, oh, I'd love to have him help out this team or this uh, school. Right. Like, what do you do? Well, it's just a coordination of the community, whether it's a okay. middle school, boys or girls club. You yep. know, we do some, you know, advertising in the local papers right. or through social mm -hmm. media. Unfortunately, the pandemic put a halt to it. I know. And we're just right. trying to start doing it again, so to right. speak, because of all the restrictions. But. We're willing to go anywhere, right. you know, middle schools, boys and girls clubs, uh, elementary schools. And we've done it in all those places. Mm -hmm. And the kids love, I mean, the drawers, the hockey, the pizza, all that mm -hmm. stuff, right? Food and yeah, sport. So food and sport. it's great to get them there and we'll have, you know, Bruins alumni or former Olympians or whatever it might be. And it could be anybody, right? right? Coaches, um, you don't have to have those credentials, mm -hmm. you know, to come and talk to the kids, the community right? about, you know, positive change, making a positive difference. You know, and you can see it in their eyes when you're talking to them. Sure. And when you're talking about, hey, this is what happens when you're bullying your gang up, and this mm -hmm. what can this is what can happen. Right. Think about if that's you, your sister, your mom, whatever. Right. right. And that's because they don't relate it to that. They, they don't, don't have reciprocity don't. in their head that it it would be like, right. oh, to put it in context of someone right. else and how you're treating 100%. that person versus like your own family member. Right. Would you treat your sister like that? Would you treat your parent like right. that? Maybe sometimes they do. Um, but also the parent, some, I mean, so there's, it's very intricate in those ways. And but, the harm it can cause, right. you know, like right. to, to tell them like, straight up, like what can happen, happen. and what right. the escape is and what, how would you like to feel that way? Right. And then again, positive change, be, be the hero, you know, what's changed the right. group mentality, right. You know, and we know there's, there's all sorts of pressures when you're young. So what do you think about, so So I often come from the side with bullying of like having to teach um, a, a bully and a bully set of parents about how their behavior is impacting, you I, know, do I, you have, I, do you yes. come in on that level? Because I often have to come in on that level to have that side understand, you know, the kid that's getting bullied or the family that's getting bullied essentially through the kid, Yeah, that's kind of like, that's the obvious. Yeah. It's the back door into here's the bully identified. And then you have, then you have the parents who are like, my kid's not doing that. Yeah. I, and they're actually, the whole bullying stems from, you see something going on between dad and kid or mom and kid or something happening there that really. Eh. Right. And that's, unfortunately we don't get to that level. Right. You know, the message is sent to that. Right. You know, and the parents come. Right. You know? Of course. So, you know, we deliver the message to everybody, but I totally agree with you. Yeah. And what may be hurting that child or a bunch of children 
You know, we try to change it to be a hero. Right. You know I, mean? I love that. And, you know, we all know concept. when we talk to them about, we all had family issues. Right. You know, we all had issues at home that, right. you know, could be very difficult to go to school with. Right. And the way you can change if there are issues at home, that again, it goes back to that principle of being a good kid, make a positive difference every day. Right. In someone's life, like another right. kid, right? Right. Well, in this, like making, and I don't know if you use the same words as like I always tell the kids, make a good choice. You have the choice to make a good one, or you right. have a choice to make a bad one. Me one's too. gonna, they're both hard decisions, but yeah. one's gonna take you down a really good road. One's gonna take you down a bad road. They're both choices. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. But it's like, how do you then get a kid to make that choice? And it's you know implementing Plant like the seeds, you, and right? Keep, you know, and we keep never watering give up. it, right? And the way we look at it is that we, you know, we've reached, we've reach thousands of kids over mm -hmm. the years. But you know, if you only reach a couple or save a couple, right. it's worth all worth our time it. and effort. Right. 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 What got you into working with kids with bullying? You know, I think it was something that I I, I read about. Okay. You know, so so it's years ago. Okay. And I think we've all experienced it. Sure. I, I certainly did. I did. You know, the <laughs> fortunate part about my you know, I grew up the youngest in the neighborhood, the youngest in my family. So, you know, I get kicked around a little bit. Yeah. You know, but I always had a safe space spot to go to right back right. in those those days and right. even at school we all got you know picked on i think beat so on. right and, and uh, you know and i tell kids too and i made the bad decision where i bully someone mm -hmm. you know so we're not above that but you know at some point in my life i was able to change that even before high school to you help. recognized it i did recognize right. and recognize the pain i feel and felt and then right. i had some good mentorship and that's, you know, that's and a key is having good resources yeah. mentorship someone that gives you right. like an emotional support right. around it to say hey right. this is not you're doing what you shouldn't be doing 100 percent. but quite frankly too reading about the kids you know through cyberbullying yes that were actually taking their own lives yes. before they even began you know mm -hmm. it just it, you know it just breaks my heart brings right. tears to my eyes and then knowing some that it happened it to too. you know right. and you right. know for instance uh you know a freshman young lady that mm -hmm. we coach from but when she was probably like 10 or 12, mm -hmm. you know, it happened. I'm not going to say what town it was, right? But took her own life, you know, and right. you know, it was a sad situation. It was just a founder, a little sister. And mm -hmm. I mean, I just want to cry when I think about it it's awful. because it's awful. she didn't realize she, you know, she had nowhere to go in she her had, mind. Well, she, right. No and that's the thing is that they, they, they anybody right. that has this issue, it feels like they don't have anywhere to go. Right. There's no hope. There's no other alternative. There's, but that's not true. Yeah, it's amazing. That's not true. Yeah, it's so. amazing to think that we could, that a kid could be in that place, right? right? right. But, you know, having said that, it needs to be addressed so that another right. kid doesn't do that. Right. And it's, it's the most important thing we do, or I do. So now, bringing up the fact that social media has become such an, like when we grew up, we didn't have social media. No. And so no. when, right? So now it's such a, I, I, I deal with it several times a week in my office with kids from all ages, all the way up through, even I have a couple of adults that have that issue where people are using Snapchat, Instagram, particularly, yeah. you know, things that can't always be recorded or traced unless you take screenshots right. because it's, you know, it's more anonymous in a lot of ways. You can get into like these private chats, all this stuff that becomes, you know, yep. <laughs> easier for people to get away with uh, going at someone's self-esteem. So you have, you know, a yeah. hockey player or you have a gymnast or whoever it is, you know, doing great things in their sport, but on the backside, they've got this picking, picking, picking. Yeah. So do you guys go in and help identify any of that that goes on? Do you help identify kids or have the kids identify themselves as you know, needing extra help? Or do you just kind of just make the global message and keep offering the support out? Exactly. It's the okay. message and the support okay. with kids. And we always tell them, feel free to reach out to us if you're mm -hmm. dealing with it. But you do have an escape. 
you know, you can talk to your parents, you can talk to principals, coaches, mm -hmm. you know, it needs to be identified. Right. And we need to change it. We need yeah. to create positive impact so that if someone sees it happening, the, the crowd will, mm -hmm. you know, rally against the bullying, bullying and stop it and say it's not right. It's, that doesn't mean to bully the bully. Right. That means to stop it. It's right. not acceptable. Right. right? To, to not keep feeding it. Not exactly. to, you know, because that's what happens is, bully, you know, bullies or people that are in that position, kids, all else. Right. Or groups. Or it's gr a lot of groups. Of right. Yeah. They get together. And yeah. it's like as long as there's all of a sudden someone or a group of someone saying no more, then all of a sudden everyone backs away because it's not supported or it's not. Right. ghosted or blind eye they go yeah that's not my issue right which is that psychological phenomenon of group thing because like we either if we're all doing it together to support we're great if we're all jumping away and diffusion of responsibility is not my problem right um and maybe bringing more awareness to that because people don't people with the cyberbullying don't realize because they don't see it right. if you don't see right. it, it doesn't exist kind of thing but yeah. it's there and they're like oh how bad can it be it's and there throwing a hand all grenade. Yeah. the time yeah it's, it can become a cesspool right well, it's your own hand grenades there the basic problem for middle school kids and high school kids and teens is this uh, reality that they're alone and yes. that's the world they yeah. live in and if you can create some kind of relationship with them so they don't feel they're alone and they can okay wait a second, I can have this relationship with someone else. Yeah. They see the reality of it. They see the hope of it. And hopefully they're drawn to it. I agree. And because yeah. a lot of kids have grown up totally alone. They don't have any kind of support system. This is why the whole team sports thing is so Huge. important. Yeah, I agree. And that's why we do a street hockey event. That's what we loved. And we did in the neighborhoods, you know, to have the kids have fun together and show them what it's like to, you know, to be that. part of something to be together. Yeah. So that's a part of the message too. Well, we grew up as kids and we just made friends because we were stuck together, whether whether being school. We didn't have a choice. Or, right. It was like the neighborhood's there, go out and play. But that's not right. the reality anymore. No, it's Most not. kids grow up totally isolated. They don't feel like they have any well, kind of support. And yeah. I feel sad. You know, we talk about the generation we grew up in. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, tech, technology, mm -hmm. the advancements right. are tremendous right. for a lot of things. Right. But not so much for that, in my no. opinion. No, you know, it's well, it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a great thing for connecting around information and knowledge and understanding, but it's a complete disconnector from human human nature and what we're drawn to to connect. Totally agree. So, so if we can change the numbers, like you said, right. you know, to the where it's unacceptable, right? To create packs of wolves and bullies mm -hmm. and whatnot, right? You know, I think the world's going to be a better place. Yeah. Growing up as a child is going to be a lot healthier for kids. Yep. And we're not going to lose any kids before their lives began. Right. Now in the street hockey events that you do, right? Yeah. Are you because of the pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic killed all this. Yes. Right. So are you getting those back up and running? Are you? We're, are in, the, you... we're in the process of okay. doing it right now. Right. So oh. if people wanted to know about that specifically, uh, listeners, they just reach out to you and yep. say, "Hey, okay, so yeah. we'll make sure that we post that." Yeah, for I, you. I do it through even through my website, dajhockeyskills.com. Okay. There's community impact. There's, right. there's pictures and videos of what we've done right. in the past. Yeah. Right. And we're do you continue. have to be? Does a kid have to know how to skate? No, because street okay. hockey, and okay. that's that's why we okay. do that. Just making sure yeah. because you know yeah. parents are like, "Oh, we're kids." No, we, like, we, we bring do the it. sticks. Good. We bring okay. everything. The nets. Uh, they just got to bring themselves, right? And depending on the weather, shorts or. I don't know if it's a fall, if it's a little cold, whatever it is, sweatpants, right? Right. But right. that's why the street hockey, everybody can play street hockey. Right. And even if a kid doesn't know how to hold the stick, we show them how. Right. And teach them how to pass. So it's just to come yeah. and be together and to, build that, yeah. that purpose and yeah. team. Well, well that, team. Yeah, there's there's so many aspects to it. Right. You know, like we, Lou touched upon too. Right. You know, the teamwork, being part of like, it's almost like a neighborhood right. event for a right. couple hours, right? right? Mm -hmm. And then again, we'll teach them a little bit how to handle the stick, make passes, the ball. 
we try to make sure every kid gets a goal, right? Yeah. And we play with them. You know, we're That's on the so teams, great. which is uh, I probably I want to play. I have more Lou, fun than anybody. Play? Yeah. Yeah. Lou, I think I, do, I think yeah. there should be an adult event. Yeah. Lou, I've scored a lot okay. of goals in these events. There, there was a great <laughs> video. I bet you have. You see, you see you didn't get that. I know. <laughs> Look at he's like he's working, in his head thinking working about, like yeah. three things. He's right so now. excited yeah. that yeah. he's here that I have yeah. to ask him this next uh, question. I said I've, a, I've scored a lot of goals in these community events. Just <laughs> <laughs> keep it going. I think I could I could feed you in the middle if you want to. Right? <laughs> can we get Chris Chelios to come out? <laughs> we'll see if Chelly can make it. Right? <laughs> there was this video not too uh, a few years ago when the when the Blackhawks were a strong and dominant team. They're still a very, very good team, but they went out actually to nursing homes. And they ran a floor hockey thing in a nursing home. Wow, I've and never seen that. They brought the team's announcer there, and he was announcing the games, and they just gave them all. This, and it's just, it was just the most incredible That's thing. That's pretty cool. I bet they loved it because they grew up watching some yeah. of these guys, right? Yeah, but that yeah. hockey can be that way. It can. And if you just spend a couple hours on the same team with a kid, yeah, on on a, in the street one day. You know, you, you've got a friendship, you've got support, you got, and again, totally. just ex, ex showing them that that's possible still is, is a big thing. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And that's where the impact comes in, right? Yep. And like I said, we spent thousands of hours, reached thousands of kids. Yep. Um, there's nothing more important to me than that. I love really. this. I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna organize an adult one in my yard. You can do that. I'm gonna right? do that. We'll it's do that. my whole neighborhood. Yeah. I'll invite you to look. Okay, cool. Yeah. Come all the way down from Plum Island. Definitely gonna take a run at your husband, John. Right? <laughs> I'm a high you stick. Know, they have a they have a <laughs> competition. A competition. Bowling. They're very competitive together, John. <laughs> you guys got a thing going? Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. All the way yeah. up until right before I came in here. Uh, he's the greatest. <laughs> Talk about you know the veterans, right? Yeah, he, what he's accomplished in life. Yes, he he wants to make sure that Dave knows that he beat him at bowling, which I think Dave two weeks ago beat yeah, John at I, bowling. It was close. We're gonna go back to the score. But I have to go back to the yeah. you know Frank Simonetti. If you're out there and you have the scorecard on yeah. that one, just let us know who beat who. It was definitely not me, right? And definitely not Kristen. But it was <laughs> the two of them together. But John's got a torn MCL, so he's got a built-in excuse. Yeah, right. right? Well, you, you know you're yeah, you're getting a little days, different going uh, on too. Fake, yeah. So that so actually so I met Dave a couple years ago through the alumni Bruins no. alumni. Um, as you know, I do some of the stuff that they do for charity and work with them and, and love the guys. And um, they do a great event. They do. Um, and Frankie. Yeah. And so Frank Simonetti and a lot of the guys get together and we all bowl. It's phenomenal. <laughs> so, it's so much fun. You got to do it with us next year. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. yeah, it's awesome. It's yep. so much fun. It. It. And so, so Dave is our choice person to be on the team yeah. with. It's because John and Dave have this yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but it's so much fun. And it's for veterans. I mean, the um, warrior... Frankie does it for a multiple, multiple organizations. For yeah. multiple, but yeah, for, for the Warrior Fund. Yeah, yeah for the yeah. Um, yeah. Warrior for Life Fund. And so this year, that's what we were doing. And and my segue into, I, you know, we talked about bullying, so that's yeah. one of the sections. But also, your work with veterans and outreach and connecting them and doing that, um, you know, similar. You support what you know the yeah. alumni do, but you yeah. also do other things. So well, you, well, yeah. So so one of the things too. Um, that we're involved with Terry O'Reilly, yes. um, a close friend of mine, and we've owned property uh, since uh, about 15 years now, yeah. and we own a couple hundred acres up in the northwest region um, that we're in the process of developing. And mm -hmm. um, our goal and intent is we're working with so several uh, veteran organizations to create veteran housing, and the programs are phenomenal. It's you know for disabled vets, right. um, 
you know, and there's different age groups of veterans, as we know. Right. You get the Vietnam, you still have some World War, War II, II vets. Right. Um, Korean. Yeah, Korean War. Right. Forgotten. They're always forgotten. I yeah, always but, dump them in. I'm yeah, like, Korea, for, yeah, they always get yeah. forgotten. Right. You even think Iraq, right? The right. first one is, right. I don't know how long ago. I was still playing hockey back yeah. then. That's how yeah. long ago it was. But Yeah, OEF you know, and OIF. Yeah, yes, and, they're, yep. and they're all, in, you know, whether disabled or they're in need, that's right. where we want to help them out. Right. Um, one of the things that we are talking about, too, through, um, you know, we talked about Rob DeFazio, who's a great yeah. friend of ours, and, right. you know, he's a former veteran with the uh, Navy. Navy. Right. Uh, he was an engineer, I right. think, with the nuclear power, power program, plant, right. and then built data centers worldwide. Right. And he has, um, I, you know, I could segue into this as well. Right. He owns a uh, a cannabis company when he sold his other company, um, and it's a veteran-owned organization. Right. He uh, supports a ton of vets, does a ton of community impact programs right. all over the state, and he's a board member with uh, VNOC, Veterans right. Northeast. Northeast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so long story short, he does a tremendous amount. Terry and I was just out there a few weeks ago mm-hmm. for the food pantry up in mm-hmm. Haverhill mm-hmm. Um, at the church there. Nice. And it was phenomenal to meet all the vets and be able to serve them. And it was such an honor for us because without the veterans, you know, I think we're probably speaking a different language right now <laughs> and may not, probably not have our freedom, in right. my opinion. So right. Right. Um, we owe everything to our vets. Right. And if they're not being taken care of, especially ones that can't help themselves, they're right. disabled, or even vets returning now. You right. know, there's a, I was talking about the DAV right. as a veteran advancement program for right. higher education for vets that are reintegrating back into society. You know, and that transitional housing is really a two-year commitment. Correct. We want to be involved with that if we can. Um, we're talking to them about it. And it's great because, in my opinion, there are some veterans that need the support services that are a little older right. in life. These are younger mm-hmm. fellows or women right. um, that you know want to create careers because they're coming out of the – we talked about they're hockey. Com- yeah, they're coming they're out. Com- the, well, that's the crossover that I like when we, you and I have talked about this before is that yes. they – that, you know, athletes, yes. they they retire at 25, right? <laughs> right? right. And veterans retire at right. 25 or right. 30, and all of a sudden that's what they've known in their adult life and – now what you know you right. know you i've talked to lou before about you know you send someone off to war yeah and then you say okay you're going home now yeah go back and be normal yeah. and you're like wait a second what i don't know how you and, can be right yeah. so it's so um so similar in a lot of ways right. it's like here you go go out and be a hockey player right oh you're an olympian yay now um you gotta find something to do with your life yeah most of them have ptsd yes. and you know anxiety disorders right. and those are disabilities right. as we know right so having said that you know this program we love it because you know, it, teaches, it involves them in higher education right. or trade mm-hmm. certification. Tur- so re, um, just helping train, train for another skill yeah. or to get them Them and their spouses, right. gives them housing. There's a right. GI Bill that supports it, right. you know, for full education tuition, right. gives them a stipend. And, you know, in my opinion, you're teaching a man to fish right. for the rest of their lives. lives. Not that there aren't individuals, because there's plenty, that need to be throwing fishes right. every day right. or fish, sure. right? Right. So, um, and that's okay, and that's what they need, and right. we try to Sometimes support. Sometimes it helps all. get them up on the feet. It's, well, yeah. it's this matter yeah. of like being. It's kind of like the bullying thing. If you keep being put down, put down, put down, and you never get a fish thrown your way to be given some relief, it's very well, hard to create not your just a fish, fish support services right. that you give them. Like it's a whole, it's a whole gamut, right. right? To be able to give them a better quality of life, life right. because they've given us everything, right? Right. So that's really it's so important to us to be able to do that um, and to be a part of that. That's what we're in the process of doing with. Like I said, several organizations and, you know, VNOC does a great job right. as well. Soldier On is another one. Uh, Bruce Buckley's the CEO is a 
good friend of mine who supports a lot of disabled vets, vets dealing with, you know, substance abuse issues and, you know, because those things come into play, unfortunately. Well, I mean, that's part of life. It's it's coping strategies that people use. Injuries, and, and, opiates, right. you know, it's a bad mixture, alcohol, and, you know, you right. learn to cope. Well, then that's, and that's the thing is like, right. Someone gets retired out of like a sport or, or out of um, being a military service person. And all of a sudden they're either given oxycodone or a broken ankle or they they go to alcohol because they've seen something horrific happen over and over in in Afghanistan or, or they just are so stressed out because they don't have the money to support their family, whatever it is, but they turn to the self-soothing things that are there for a variety of reasons and then right. become, not only now are they a veteran or they're someone who's getting ready to retire from whatever, now they've got addiction right. and the right. loss of money and income and potential and job and family and all these things. And then uh, hopelessness again, it's like the bullying thing. It's like you get to these things, this Isolation, place where there's no, yeah. no thought in your head that you have somewhere else to go or that there's an alternative to where you're at. Because yeah. m- for a long time up until, I mean, 20, 26 years, I've been doing my practice right at the beginning of my practice. There was not a lot of resources for veterans. And I've been working with veterans since, back in the day doing this and you know that was one of my biggest frustrations is i was trying trying to get resources and community-based activities or something to support and there wasn't and now there's much more and now you guys are creating much more you know sober housing uh, rehab programs um rehab not just for addiction but rehab for ptsd and support and now you know panic disorders anxiety all kinds of mental health issues that were always bypassed because every you know if you didn't have your uh, leg blown off, your arm blown off, it didn't count kind of thing. Because yeah. if you couldn't see it, it didn't really exist. But that's not true. I mean, there's many more people with mental health issues than than you can see on a body. And that's not to say that it's any more or less. It's just that they were bypassed. And that creates such a uh, disconnect from society and purpose and seeking out life. And totally. I mean, the veteran population for the longest time has had one of the highest rates of suicide. And I see people all the time with um, suicidal ideation that the VA, you know, they're so overrun with people getting help and services that, you know, I see many people that can't get in for six, 10 months, but you know, wow. I have to like, yeah. you know, provide Expedite. as much yeah. service as I can and then get yeah. them to a resource that in the community, because it's Trying so, to bridge them, right? it's so intense and people are so much more likely to start, seek out the services now. Thank God. Right. And, and there's no greater pain. Like I've had plenty of injuries. I've never had my arm or leg blown off. Um, but there's no greater pain than emotional pain, right? You know, or psychological pain, right. and feeling like you're hopeless, right? That's that's something that if you don't address, it's it, a Dave. Issue. I'm not equating the two, and I'm not saying anybody does, but there must be a unique relationship between veterans and hockey players. There must be a certain level of uh, relatability. There definitely is that, yeah. that for yeah. veterans doesn't exist many other places, right? And there's, again, I'm not equating the two, but yeah. you guys can look at. We, I think we do. Yeah. I think you're right, Lou. And I think there's such a mutual respect, which is nice. And not that we deserve their uh, their respect, right. but they certainly deserve ours. And we have that most. And, you know, it was it was so great, um, you know, just a few weeks ago and all the events we do mm-hmm. um, to see, like, Terry O'Reilly, right, who's a legend of these guys. Yeah. Like, they're his heroes, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's just phenomenal to see that that bond and that mutual respect and yeah. and the healing I think that takes place sometimes, you know, when well, you support them and, and they feel that right. respect and, you know, welcome home. Right. right absolutely. And we, we got your back. 
Right. Like, well, I think huge. that that's what you, I mean, what you're saying and what you talked about this yesterday about the universal shared experience. Like yeah. if you're a team of hockey players and you have, and you said it right at the top of the hour, like we have this camaraderie, this bond, this shared yeah. thing. Right. And yeah. it's no matter what, it's always yeah. there. That's the same thing in military. Right. If you yeah. share and you go in together in a platoon, you come out together in a platoon, you have that feeling of these guys or these, they can understand me. This is where I connect. And now you get two groups together that share that. I think it's such a yeah. great blend. And again, of, I'm not of, equating it in any way, but, I know. but, but hockey right. players suit up. They go out, they put themselves in harm's way. And again, not at the same yeah. level. I understand. Different but, kind of war. But they sacrifice for the greater good yeah, in a teammates. way that military people do. It, military platoons and hockey teams right. probably have a lot of shared um, mental approaches. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Luckily, we're not dealing with hand grenades, right? And yeah. you know, rocket launchers. Yeah, again, but, I'm not diminishing. No. I'm not equating, but you're you're right though. Yeah. It's the same concept, the same bond, same teamwork, sacrifice, commitment, yeah. and we're in this together, right? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, well, and I think that's where, and I know you're not equating it, and certainly it wouldn't be, but the actual emotional. It's a lot of similarities. It's very yeah. similar in the crossover. And that's, you know, that's with anything that has a sense of purpose, gives you something to look forward to. Yeah. It's also something that you get your rush from. I mean, people don't talk about the fact that, you know, when you're at war, even though you're at war, yeah. there's a rush yeah. psychologically. There's a neurotransmitter rush. When you're playing as a team for something, it's also the same kind of rush. It's the same area of the brain. It's just yeah. Yeah. coming from different stimulus. Right. So when you're doing that and you have that like win at the Olympics, that yeah. bonds you forever. Yeah. You have like something happen out in the field, you know, in theater and as a veteran or, you know, in service that bonds you together. It's the same. It's the same yeah. area of the brain. It's just a different right. way of getting there. But it's still that same thing. So when you come back and you all you haven't seen somebody for thirty years, right. so you hadn't seen Terry, you'd still be right back at it, right? It'd be like yeah. like nothing. And I've passed. had those experiences right. because some guys live, you know, in Western Canada right. or right. you know up north, and right. But it never changes. It's right. like it stands still. Those right. relationships, right. which is phenomenal, it right. really is, right? Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so now I have to go back to a few minutes ago. He talked about. Did you hear cannabis? Yes. Cannabis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh, it's always controversial. People are like, oh my God, we right. can't talk about that. Right. Well, first of all, it's legal in Massachusetts and many right. states in this country. So everyone needs to just breathe. So, um, but I, from the psychological doctor standpoint, I mean, before it was legal in Massachusetts, I, you know, I wrote the script for people to go get their medical marijuana card for people that have PTSD or anxiety disorders mm -hmm. um, with the caveat that, you know, if it's medical grade, mm -hmm. it's made a lot different than recreation on the street. So typically, you know, before that, I'd be like, do not to my patients, I'd be like, do not use on street because if you're anxious, which is PTSD, OCD, anxiety, panic, you use that, typically you're gonna have massive panic attacks or anxiety because that's what recreational grade does. Yeah. But with the science and the amazing technology in the past 15, roughly 15 years with cannabis, um, the medical marijuana grade is so different yeah. and how they make it specifically for, hey, you need help with sleep or you need help with anxiety, or, you need help with PTSD. Um, and the research is ongoing. So I think that um, certainly I'm not in favor of everyone going out and just getting high. I think that it has a great purpose and such a, I've seen great things with a lot of my clients. Um, and I know that veterans, um, there's, there's a lot of current research being done for the use of it's actually we're beyond that with marijuana it's, we see the benefits in, in many ways for that 
pain management. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people that were on opiates are now off opiates and use that on a daily for edible, yeah. which is very different. Um, and you know, it's kind of given the impetus for you know MDMA therapy and ketamine and all the hallucinatory kind of things. Those are in the works now. So we're including THC in this discussion. Yeah. So THC, yeah. yeah. yeah so THC is part of it, but medical marijuana doesn't give you the high that recreational marijuana does. And so I could go into a whole long show <laughs> on why, how, and what receptors in the brain that does. But since Dave's it. here, yeah, and I don't. that <laughs> is not what we're going to talk about. But it, but yeah. it, there is, a, and we certainly can, if people have questions, they can ask me. But, but I think you touched on that. And I would love to hear your thoughts, use, who's, what are you guys doing? Like, well, I'm certainly no expert um, in it. Yeah. Um, I will say this, I'll preface it by, I've been in recovery for 11 years this past September. Congrats. Um, you know, I've walked the dead end street of, from surgeries, um, opiates. Yep. And we talked about it with veterans yep. where, you know, it hit me like a ton of bricks one day when I was dependent on them. Right. And when you become dependent on it, so it's too late. Right. Right. You've crossed the line. And yep. it took right me, over the cliff. It took me five years, you know, because I had a doctor, primary care who was writing me scripts and you know, build up tolerance, as you know, yep. and it became more and more. And I convinced myself I needed more and more for my injuries. Right. 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 Because that's what the brain does. Yeah. But then before you know it, you're a opiate addict. Right. You know, so it took me five years and I was fortunate enough to the NHL alumni mm -hmm. and the NHL um, themselves that funded funds treatment for us. That's awesome. NHL alumni. And I was able to get away in 2010 to a residential treatment center for three months and then a sober home for another six. And. I got my life back when nothing else worked. Right. Right. So for me, it's a slippery slope to talk about because right. I don't use any mind altering substances. Right. Um, including, you know, recreational marijuana. Right. Um, you know, as far as what we're talking about, even in Winchenden, um, you know, land contribution that we would be doing to Rob and CNA stores. It's mm -hmm. a veteran organization. It's one in Haverhill. It's mm -hmm. one in Amesboro and they have a recreational marijuana right. dispensary. Right. Um, to me, I'm, I, I'm not here to judge, right. you know, whether it's a gateway drug or not. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not an opiate, in my right. opinion. It's not well done. Um, right. But what his company does, it, you know, a lot of those funds go to community impact, right. veteran housing, and he's a veteran himself. It's a veteran-owned organization. And what it's going to create out where we are is, um, you know, a cultivation facility that's going to employ potentially over 100 veterans and give them some careers. Now, again, you know. Right. Rob's a very intelligent guy as to who's qualified to work there right. or not and what dependencies right. they have. Right. So we're all sensitive to all that yeah. stuff. Um, well, it's taking on, I mean, not to interrupt you, but yeah. it's taking on a, a very serious problem that people kind of either look at or ignore and really looking at it for how can we kind of mitigate it and right. say, right. you know, let's look at the reality of what this really is right. instead of, you know, stigmatizing it or putting it down or making people feel shame, right. which is already at the underside of, of people who are not in recovery yet that's keeping them most of the time away from being in recovery. 100%. So being able to yeah. look at, Clinically, okay, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah and that's you got all the credentials. I, right. I don't, so that's why I don't want to make assumptions. Yes, well, yeah. good. You made a good assumption. But it but yeah. I think that I think that first of all, it's not considered in, in our community a gateway drug anymore. That was old school. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly I like I said at the top of this, when I said it, I said, Well, there's certain things that, you know, can exacerbate things and, right. and it's a case by case basis. Right. But I think that you know, things have to move along with time. You know, I mean, we use caffeine. Caffeine right. is, mm, is a crazy drug, yeah. right? Sugar is a crazy Alcohol. drug. Uh, so but wasn't part of the quality of it being quote unquote gateway drug, the um, 
circumstances in which you acquired it and the circumstances in which you used it well, when so, it wasn't legal. So, right. So that was, so that's a big piece of that phenomenon of being gateway yeah. of the circumstances and also nature versus nurture. Right. People got into the debate of like, well, if you come from a family that has addiction, you're going to be more likely because it's got addiction properties to it, but actually it's not so, 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 you just when before it was legal, you would get marijuana in on the street, right? And with a group of people, or grow it. and you would end up within a group of people who had already traveled further down the drug trail, well, right? So, you were put yeah. in contact with those people. So, that was part of the gateway, quote unquote, gateway experience for it. Well, so, right, as much so, as the drug itself. So, mm -hmm. and that becomes really the addiction, it's the addiction to the habit of the people the environment, yeah. the nurture around it, even though it's really not nurturing when you go down that road, because by the time you're around, if you're just starting out, but let's go back in the day. But so your third years, trip into a dispensary, they're not going to tell you, hey, try this fentanyl. Exactly. <laughs> you're not going to well, get that's, that. And so that's, yeah. and that was, so that's yeah. to my point is that yeah. it's, it's, when it was considered that and it had the stigma really heavy to it, which the reason why some of the stigma still sits is because people still hold on to that kind of thought is it's not habit forming because of the actual chemical properties. It doesn't get you addicted. It doesn't, it's the habit of who you're hanging with, what kind of environment, what it brings. What are you going to be introduced to? But yeah. to wrap it into the show today, it gives people camaraderie and a sense of purpose, good, bad, or indifferent. So, 25 years ago, if people were doing that and then doing a line of cocaine, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not doing that now because they're not hanging, they're not going to the dispensary and getting that like that. They're getting their little gummies. So, yeah. They're going home and having, you know, pizza and watching a movie. <laughs> and it's a very different context. So there's no habit forming of the of the brain to get addicted to the experience. Right. Um, and more and more people aren't smoking it. More people are eating it. It's, it's yeah. a very, there's so Scientific many different, now. right. It's yeah. very different. Um, you know, and I'm, I always recommend that people certainly check with your psychologist, your psychiatrist, your uh, medical professional. Um, many medical professionals are very much on board about this now. Some aren't yeah. some, you know, some need to just educate themselves, but you know, they're old school or whatever, yeah. but the science has really grown with this. It's all, and it's always been there, which is why the, you know, many places had it way before Massachusetts did, but it's, it's more and more because we see the benefits yeah. of pain management and it doesn't, it's still, it's still band-aids for a lot of people, but for some it's not, it's cause it's used in moderation. It's just like anything. It's, it's helpful. It's, right. um, it's funny the fight you see in communities, some involved with somebody in Haverhill who's trying to put a dispensary th through in the community fight that goes against it all the time. And meanwhile, to Dave's experience and to a hundred kids experience, you get doctors giving opiates to high school athletes. Oh my God. Exactly. It, it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And parents yeah. are sitting there, opiate. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Help the pain. Well, right. and that, in that culture, it's nuts. It is. It is nuts. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. Totally nuts. And that's to the culture we're talking about yeah. the culture of, you know, once you give a kid, say a 15 or 16 year old kid, you know, a, a script for opiates. Now, I mean, this is awful to say, but I get kids all the time being like, oh, yeah, I can sell those for 50 bucks yeah, a piece. I get them out of my mother. And I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. mandated reporter. Now I'm like, it's yeah. it's this whole thing. But you don't get that with I got my gummies. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go because yeah. well, no one no one's doing that because it's so not that. Yeah, and right. it, it's not, you know, feeding it. You know, I had someone come to me, you know, 17, 18 years old, three or four weeks ago. And the doctor gave them 60 Percocet. And I'm like, oh, my God, crazy. what are you doing? And they were like, is this a bad thing? I'm like, uh-huh. 
like, you can form an addiction on those. Well, ten, ten yeah, in, yeah. and you've got it. Is that what it is? Ten. So yeah. if you get, you know, if you've got a um, uh, addiction line in your family genetically, yeah, game on. I mean, that's happening on, on a day to day basis, and it's insane. Yeah, it's, it is insane. Yeah. What 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 is mind blowing to me is that someone with a PhD is doing this. That's mind blowing, and it, it's mind blowing to me to look back on my experience to know yeah. that someone escalated me down that trail yep. and thought it was a good idea. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's and you're an adult about it right now. And you're yeah, an I'm adult sure. to her point, a 15 year old or, you know, some high school, some sophomore high school football player. It's, it's just crazy. It's insanity. I just yeah. can't, I can't imagine. I really can't that a doctor would prescribe that knowing what the outcome can be right. a good chance of it. In right. my opinion, right. Cause I've seen it. You know, I'm involved in recovery. I'm a trained recovery coach. Yeah. I see it over and over again. Yeah. And they never ask for history. They never, never. ask, have you had a script before? Have you had issues? They just issue the script. hundred percent. I mean, it's, that's how I got, yeah. that's how I became an addict. And it's a dead end street, unfortunately. Right. Once you get there, it's really hard to get back. Well, and so, and so for people that are listening that may not use pills or maybe trying to relate it to themselves and be like, oh, I don't do any of that. It doesn't relate. This is, this is like alcohol. Same thing. 100%. Sugar. Yeah. If you've ever no. listened to the show, Dave, I talk about sugar all the time. Like it's so addictive, and it's in everything, and people yeah. don't realize it. And they've just changed some of the packaging names now. Yeah. Your your brain is constantly craving it, right? Craving yeah. it, whether it's you know a piece of bread, uh, you know. Wait a minute, I know that food addiction. You know the sugar. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me. And you don't realize how much it's in so many things. And so if you're a listener today and listening to, like, how do I relate this? Well, it's like if you have alcohol and you have alcohol every day and you're having to drink more and more, it's like one thing to have one or two, you know, right. everyone has a glass of wine. Okay. Right. But now if you're like doing that, doing that, doing, you can't not have it or you can't get away from it. Right. Yeah. Same thing with the sugar or yeah. caffeine. It's, it, these are all things that are bound to the brain. And what they do is that if you have loneliness, if you have sadness, if you have feelings of inadequacy or what's my sense of purpose now, and you're using something like that, it's reinforcing that that sadness and that right. anxiety. It's, it's and the just, isolation yeah. and all that stuff that comes along, right. along with it. It's a dead end street. Unfortunately, the opiates are right for sure. Well, opiates and, al and I alcohol, mean, al well, yeah. alcohol to the, when we go over the, anything over the cliff, yeah. right. And you build the tolerance. And you Dependency. Have to drop, right. Dependency. Right? right. When you get to that point. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's right. a, a very sad place to be. Right. So bringing it back to the cannabis, the dependency isn't built on the actual chemical compound. It's built on habituation of, of the environment and the, yeah, the nurture around it and more and more people that are using medical grade or going yep. into dispensaries because it's legal it's yeah. not it's not it doesn't have the allure of the of the seedy side of, right. of like right. you know kind of going down to the back alley like <laughs> well you know the other thing you got to be concerned about now is um is fentanyl is the devil out there right and you don't know what you're getting right like i've people have smoked a joint yep and it's laced with fentanyl and, and it's the last it. breath they ever took that's right so you don't know so the dispensaries yeah it's scientifically formulated at least yep. you take that right. out of the equation exactly so well and, and more and more because fentanyl is on the on the rise as we yeah. know i mean you look at the paper in lowell on a weekly or you get the alerts i get alerts all the time of like the you know the epidemic of the opiate you know right. and it's always fentanyl some will say oh you know my 28 year old cousin died this weekend i don't even ask anymore right. like, oh right. fentanyl fentanyl it's, they go they overdose yeah. oh, fentanyl because they had something it's like what yeah yeah and it, they're lacing it with cocaine yep um marijuana so it's russian roulette, roulette right. what you i still go back to how many of those opiate uh, those fentanyl addictions started with a prescription 
whether it's the prescription for the person yep. or it's the parent's prescription for the kids right. or right. something like that got into traffic. It starts with the readily accessible, which is right. the opiates, which are acceptable for some godforsaken reason. Because they're prescribed. It's yeah. a stigma yeah. that, or it's the it's the misnomer, not stigma, it's the misnomer that, well, a doctor with a prescribed, it. prescribed yeah. it, so it must be okay. Yep. that's That was my license. Right. And it's oh. like, oh, well, they say it's okay. Right. Why not? And they gave me 60. Why not? Right. And then there's 60. more available if you want, right? right. So, oh, you're out. You need more. Oh, well. Like it in Percocet, Oxy. You right. know, it's like. And then you mix them. Yeah, you mix them because right. there's gateway pain, according right. to the doctor. That's right. So, yeah. you know, the oxycontin will only last it this long, right. right? So we'll give you Percocet four hours later for breakthrough pain. So see, and that's and Crazy. so when you have when you have someone like a veteran, yeah, who doesn't have necessarily the physical pain, but they have emotional pain, oh. and they're given that which yep. is often yeah. given for that wow. um there's and then you drink on top of that now the pattern is you you have that and then you drink on top of that but then you have to have more of the pills be able to, be able to come down from the alcohol like it's that's it's a vicious cycle and and so that's why i come back to cannabis is like so innocuous right. um it's not i'm glad you say it's, that it's not going to do that right. now you'll have people that will debate this well that was my opinion what you're saying right but it's good to hear you know, right clinical opinion yeah on it, right? and you're gonna have i mean people will be on the other side of it too we're all entitled to our opinions exactly right. and i think that the more research you do and like i said at the beginning i think you know it's dependent case by case you know certainly making sure that you know someone um you know has a real mental health issue um is getting matched with the right thing i mean most of the dispensaries around here that i've had contact with for my patients are really good with the people they employ. They're yeah. smart. They yeah. understand. They're either growing it. They're part of the. It, so it's it's well, it's there a, are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars, thousands of dollars into this enterprise. They're heavily regulated. They do yes. not want to screw things up. Right. No, right. No, no, no. They're exactly. heavily invested in these. Right. Businesses. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's um that's what Rob DeFazio is with CNA stores. Right. So and he's completely natural alternatives is actually the yeah. if you want to look yeah. it up, it's yeah. CNA completely natural alternatives. See, do I your homework. I do yeah. my homework. Awesome. So and Rob DeFazio, the the owner of the company, um certainly you guys can go out and look at that. But it's it's I was fascinated by the company and the website because of how much community In service fact, and yeah. going back yeah. to yeah. your your whole being is he's like like community service person and he's giving back and i think that's best part of recovery is being able to get when you when you find it for yourself and then keep giving it back over and over and over and over it's, it's what keeps me sober well, it's camaraderie yeah. and it's belonging to something it's yeah. something we seek athletes yeah. athletes seek that right past right. their athletic career and, and whenever, as a term recovery coach, whenever yeah. I'm trying to help someone, that's what you try to create, a support network, purpose, right. you know, and, and when, when you get, get them to that point, they get a good chance at recovery long term. So how long have you been a trained recovery coach? Um, since, uh, I got to go back, about three or four years. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you see, because I, I work with trained recovery coaches, I, I yeah. teach at the college for the LADAC and, the, and doing the um, licensing for the uh, drug counselors. Um, do you see individuals for yourself? Do you work for a specific company? How can people seek you out if they like you and they hear you today and go, oh, I'd love for him to help me? Yeah, I don't have my own personal website. A okay. lot of my coaching, I was working at an um, executive level sober home mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a lot of friends in residential treatment centers and I work a lot helping guys. It's pro bono. Right. I don't charge for it. Nice. So, you know, it's really 
it's amazing how many phone calls I get because mm -hmm. I put myself out there. I'm an open book. Did you want to mention that sober home? It's a great sober yeah, home. Yeah, uh, not not right now, okay. just because right. okay. I don't think it would be appropriate okay. at the time. I didn't know but if you wanted to yeah. give me any plug, but yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll plug. Believe <laughs> me, I'll plug if I want to plug. <laughs> okay. All right. well, so I think it's important yeah. for people to know that you actually can be reached because you have your DAJ hockey yeah. website and people can reach out to you there. Yep. Um, and that um, you're just involved in so many ways and people can help get in touch with you if they wanted to do something for their youth, something for 100%. sports, yeah. something for recovery, something for veterans. Mm -hmm. Now, how far along are you guys with um, doing housing? Uh, you're saying up in the Northwest. We're, we're in the process of putting together a team with different organizations. <laughs> nice. So. Yeah, so, so it's, it's coming along. It, it so is. It's, be... in, it's significant development phase right now, which awesome. is good. Yeah, so it couldn't awesome. be better. I'm really excited about it. Very good. All right, Lou. Yes. I I can't imagine you don't have like some fascinating question that you have to know from Dave. Yeah, but I'm the only one who's going to be interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> You're well, a New England kid, and yeah. you went to a Big Ten school. You went to the Upper Midwest. Nope. That's no? another David Jensen. The funny, That's another David the Jensen. funny part about that story is, and this is the luck of the Irish, right? Yeah. So when I was selected for the team, it was David Jensen in July of '83. Um, months later, in the Olympic team, some guys like during that they select 26 guys. Yeah. 20 guys actually make it to the Olympics, so it's a competition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then a couple guys get caught, and a couple guys get brought in, and he ended up being a really, really great friend of mine. But they had cut a couple of defensemen, and they brought in another guy named David Jensen from Minnesota. He was yep. the captain of the University of Minnesota. David H. Oh, Not A. Like, yep. like Harold Jensen. Yep. I'm David Allen Jensen. There you go. Um, my middle name's after my Nana from Ireland. A-double-L-E-N. But um, long story short, you know, when he came, I'm like, you, can you believe this? And that guy would be the same name on the team. So I had to can change my yeah. jersey to D period A period Jensen. And my buddies call me Da Jensen. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, my brother especially. Like, yeah. he, he brought that one up. But um, but he ended up being a great player. So there were two David Jensen's on the 84 Olympic team, David A and David H. Well, I can probably still ask you the same question because you interacted with these people. What was the difference between hockey development in the upper Midwest and hockey development in New England? Not a lot. Um, yeah. Back when I played, it was a different world. Uh, there were really three dominant states in the you know late 70s, early 80s, and then other states developed. But um, it was Mass, Minnesota, and Michigan. Right. I mean, that's where our players were from. Michigan, as you probably yeah. saw in Miracle, most of the organization is from Minnesota, yep. you know, whether it's the coach. And it wasn't unlike that in 84 either. So I believe we had the same level of talent in Massachusetts. And, you know, that's debatable, but <laughs> I think even a little better. But when you're selecting teams, you know your right. players out there. So it was all obviously or always more heavily weighted towards Minnesota guys. I think the 80 team right. had four guys from Boston, you know, Massachusetts. And, yeah, yeah, I think so. four. Yeah. yeah, I think four. And we had five, I believe. Um, do I think we could have had more? I do. <laughs> yeah. I do. But um, there was no difference in as far as where we were and where they were back in that time. But you and I are Bobby or babies in the hockey industry yeah. here in New Boom. England. It, it started with Bobby Orr. I mean, it's not unlike Michigan, it probably was there a little, had little deeper roots. Yeah, yeah, Minnesota as well. You know, it's yeah. it's very close to Canada and Winnipeg up there. Um, so yeah, I think Bobby Orr put it on the map. A lot of kids started buying hockey skates and getting on the ponds, and you know, the MDC rinks were yeah. being built back then. It's probably why I had that special love for hockey. I think it was honestly attributed to Bobby Orr watching the Bruins and 
like just how magical he was in my life. And it people really don't believe this, but I, I stand by it. As hot as we are on the Patriots, and obviously when the Red Sox do well, we support them and root for them. This town has never been lit up more than the early 70s Bruins. The yeah. 69. I don't, yeah. I, this team, that team had the heart of this town more than any other team I've ever seen. Yeah. It's amazing to hear that, Lou. I was, um, I was young. It certainly had my heart. And um, it seemed like a magical time to me. You know, at that point in time, it and, changed the region. That team yeah. changed the region. Yeah. yeah. And I was young. So I, I was part of that, you know, yeah. uh, you know, five years old in 1970. So, you know, growing up in the 70s, like that influenced my life in a, a, a huge way. I know. <laughs> I know. I was watching your face. I said five. five. I was watching his face. Well, no, I, was, I, was, I, I know. <laughs> I was only nine, so it wasn't that. I don't bad. want people thinking I'm too old. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm dating myself, Lou. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get ready to wrap up the show, and we certainly, I think, we have to have him back because yeah. we just scratched the surface. Yes. But so, if you could give advice, uh, <laughs> I know here it comes. Yeah. If you could give advice to a young person um, about feeling disconnected or low or not with any hope or sort of on that teetering edge, like what would you say given all your life experience? You know, um, well, when I'm dealing with adults, it's more suggestions, yep. but the advice or suggestion to a kid yep. is to what we talked about, get involved in community team. And it doesn't have to be sports, you know, if you're a musician or whatever your, your interests Drama, are. Musician, yeah, whatever it is, art, get involved right. and get connected to the community or other kids. And I give the advice to the parents if they notice that. Right. Right. I think that's huge. And my biggest um, point of advice, I think, would be if you're ever feeling like you don't have an escape or support, you do. You know what I mean? You just got to reach out. Sometimes we don't realize right. in every aspect of life that mm -hmm. we're not alone. Right. Yep. So realize you're you. not alone. If you're feeling that way, reach out, get help, get connected. It's there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So that's what I truly believe. Awesome, Lou. Any final thoughts from your words of wisdom? No time to say goodbye. But I, we gotta <laughs> have to say back. goodbye. I yeah. just have to say that I have to thank everyone that has supported me financially in the last couple of weeks to raise money for my lovely run on Monday in the <laughs> Boston Marathon, and um, and it's gonna rain. Oh wow! <laughs> right now it says it's gonna rain. You know how much I love running in the rain? Yeah, not a lot. No, I hate running in the rain, <laughs> but nonetheless. I will be running on Monday. So thank you all to support for supporting me there. And um, thank you, Dave, so much. Thank for you. Coming. Good luck in the marathon. That's thank it's you. Yeah. And, um, and we'll have Dave back because now I've got lots of other questions. And John just, you know, yelled at you online there. Best show so far. Awesome. Oh, there's John. <laughs> <laughs> thank yeah. you, John. I miss you, buddy. We'll see you soon. All right, you guys have a great week and, and uh, do good out there. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was fun.